narrative of a Lord dealings with George Muller. Part I. It was only after the consideration of many months and after much self-examination as to my motives and after much earnest prayer that I came to the conclusion to write this little work. I have not taken one single step in the Lord's service concerning which I have prayed so much. My great dislike to increasing the number of religious books would, in itself, have been sufficient to have kept me forever from it had I not cherished the hope of being instrumental, in this way, to lead some of my brethren to value the Holy Scriptures more, and to judge by the standard of the Word of God the principles on which they act. But that which weighed more with me than anything was, that I have reason to believe from what I have seen among the children of God, that many of their trials arise, either from want of confidence, in the Lord, as it regards temporal things, or from carrying on their business, in an unscriptural way. On account, therefore, of the remarkable way in which the Lord has dealt with me in temporal things, within the last ten years, I feel that I am a debtor to the Church of Christ, and that I ought, for the benefit of my poorer brethren especially, to make known, as much, as I can, the way in which I have been led. In addition to this, I know it to be a fact, that to many souls the Lord has blessed what I have told them about the way in which He has led me, and therefore it seemed to me a duty to use such means, whereby others also, with whom I could not possibly converse, might be benefited. That which at last, on May 6, 1836, induced me finally to determine to write this narrative was, that, if the Lord should permit the book to sell, I might, by the profits arising from the sale, be enabled in a greater degree, to help the poor brethren and sisters among whom I labor, a matter which just at that time weighed much on my mind. I therefore at last began to write. But after three days I was obliged to lay the work again aside, on account of my other pressing engagements. On May 15th I was laid aside on account of an abscess, and now being unable, for many weeks, to walk about as usual, though able to work at home, I had time for writing. When the manuscript was nearly completed, I gave it to a brother to look it over, that I might have his judgment, and the Lord so refreshed his spirit through it, that he offered to advance the means for having it printed, with the understanding, that if the book should not sell, he would never consider me his debtor. By this offer not a small obstacle was removed, as I have no means of my own to defray the expense of printing. These two last circumstances, connected with many other points, confirmed me that I had not been mistaken, when I came to the conclusion that it was the will of God that I should serve His Church in this way. The fact of my being a foreigner, and therefore but very imperfectly acquainted with the English language, I judged to be no sufficient reason for keeping me from writing. The Christian reader being acquainted with this fact will candidly excuse any inaccuracy of expression. For the poor among the brethren this narrative is especially intended, and to their prayers I commend it in particular. George Muller Bristol, July 5, 1837 I was born at Krupp and State, near Halberstadt, in the Kingdom of Prussia, on September 27, 1805. In January 1810 my parents removed to Heimersleben, about four miles from Krupp and State, where my father was appointed collector in the excise. As a warning to parents I mention that my father preferred me to my brother, which was very injurious to both of us to me, as tending to produce in my mind a feeling of self-elevation, and to my brother, by creating in him a dislike both towards my father, and me my father, who educated his children on worldly principles, gave us much money considering our age, not in order, that we might spend it, but, as we said, to accustom us to possess money without spending it. 
The result was that it led me and my brother into many sins. For I repeatedly spent a part of the money in a childish way, and afterwards, when my father looked over my little treasure, I sought to deceive him in making up the accounts, either by not putting down all the money which he had given me, or by professing to have more money in hand than was the case, and counting it out accordingly before him. Now, though this deceit was found out at last, and I was punished, yet I remained the same. For before I was ten years old I repeatedly took of the government money which was entrusted to my father, and which he had to make up, till one day, as he had repeatedly missed money, he detected my theft, by depositing a counted sum, in the room, where I was, and leaving me to myself for a while. Being thus left alone, I took some of the money, and hid it under my foot in my shoe. When my father, after his return, had counted and missed the money, I was searched, and my theft detected. Though I was punished on this and other occasions, yet I do not remember that at any time, when my sins were found out, it made any other impression upon me than to make me think how I might do the thing the next time more cleverly, so as not to be detected. Hence it came, that this was not the last time, that I was guilty of stealing. When I was between ten and eleven years of age, I was sent to Halberstadt, to the Cathedral Classical School there to be prepared for the university, for my father's desire was that I should become a clergyman, not, indeed, that thus I might serve God, but that I might have a comfortable living. My time was now spent in studying, reading novels, and indulging, though so young, in sinful practices. Thus it continued till I was fourteen years old, when my mother was suddenly removed. The night she was dying, I, not knowing of her illness, was playing at cards, till two in the morning, and on the next day, being the Lord's Day, I went with some of my companions and sin to a tavern, and then we went about the streets, half intoxicated. The following day I attended, for the first time, the religious instruction, which I was to receive previous to my confirmation. This likewise was attended to in a careless manner, and when I returned to my lodgings, my father had arrived to fetch my brother, and me home to our mother's funeral, this bereavement made no lasting impression on my mind. I grew worse and worse. Three or four days before I was confirmed, and thus admitted to partake of the Lord's Supper. I was guilty of gross immorality, and the very day, before my confirmation, when I was in the vestry with the clergyman to confess my sins, according to the usual practice, after a formal manner, I defrauded him, for I handed over to him only the twelfth part of the fee which my father had given me for him. In this state of heart, without prayer, without true repentance, without faith, without knowledge of the plan of salvation, I was confirmed, and took the Lord's Supper. On the Sunday after Easter 1820. Yet I was not without some feeling about the solemnity of the thing, and I stayed at home, in the afternoon and evening, whilst the other boys and girls, who had been confirmed with me, walked about in the fields I also made resolutions to turn from those vices, in which I was living, and to study more. But as I had no regard to God, and attempted the thing in my own strength, all soon came to nothing, and I still grew worse. Six weeks after my confirmation I went for a fortnight to Brunswick, to a sister of my father, where I became attached to a young female, who was a Roman Catholic. My time, till midsummer 1821 was spent partly in study, but in a great degree, in playing the piano forte and guitar, reading novels, frequenting taverns, forming resolutions, to become different, yet breaking them almost as fast as they were made. 
My money was often spent on my sinful pleasures, through which I was now, and then brought into trouble, so that once, to satisfy my hunger, I stole a piece of coarse bread, the allowance of a soldier, who was quartered in the house where I lodged. What a bitter, bitter thing is the service of Satan, even in this world. At midsummer 1821 my father obtained an appointment at Schoenbeck, near Magdeburg, and I embraced the opportunity of entreating him to remove me to the Cathedral Classical School of Magdeburg, for I thought that, if I could but leave my companions in sin, and get out of certain snares, and be placed under other tutors, I should then live a different life. But as my dependence in this matter also was not upon God, I fell into a still worse state, my father consented, and I was allowed to leave Halberstadt and to stay at Heimersleben till Michaelmas. During that time I superintended, according to my father's wish, certain alterations which were to be made in his house there for the sake of letting it profitably. Being thus quite my own master, I grew still more idle, and lived as much as before in all sorts of sin. When Michaelmas came, I persuaded my father to leave me at Heimersleben till Easter and to let me read the classics with a clergyman living in the same place. As Dr. Nagel was a very learned man, and also in the habit of having pupils under his care and a friend of my father, my request was granted. I was now living on the premises belonging to my father, under little real control, and entrusted with a considerable sum of money which I had to collect for my father from persons who owed it to him. My habits soon led me to spend a considerable part of this money, giving receipts for different sums, yet leaving my father to suppose I had not received them. In November I went on a pleasure excursion to Magdeburg, where I spent six days in Muchsen, and though my absence from home had been found out by my father, before I returned from thence, yet I took all the money I could obtain, and went to Brunswick, after I had, through a number of lies, obtained permission from my tutor. The reason of my going to Brunswick was the attachment I had formed 18 months previously to the young female residing there. I spent a week at Brunswick in an expensive hotel. At the end of the week my money was expended. This, as well as the want of a passport, prevented my staying any longer in the hotel, but as I still wished to remain at Brunswick, I went to my uncle, the husband of my father's sister, and made some excuse for not having gone to him in the first instance. My uncle, seeing I suppose my unsteady life, intimated after a week, that he did not wish me to remain with him any longer. I then went, without money, to another hotel, in a village near Brunswick, where I spent another week, in an expensive way of living. At last, the owner of the hotel suspecting that I had no money, asked for payment, and I was obliged to leave my best clothes as a security, and could scarcely thus escape from being arrested. I then walked about six miles to Wolfenbüttel, went to Annan, and began again to live as if I had plenty of money. Here I stayed two days, looking out for an opportunity to run away, for I had now nothing remaining to leave as a pledge. But the window of my room was too high to allow of my escaping, by getting down at night. On the second or third morning I went quietly out of the yard, and then ran off, but being suspected and observed, and therefore seen to go off, I was immediately called after, and so had to return. I now confess my case, but found no mercy. I was arrested, and taken between two soldiers to a police officer. Being suspected by him to be a vagabond or thief, I was examined for about three hours, and then sent to jail. I now found myself at the age of sixteen, an inmate of the same dwelling with thieves and murderers, and treated accordingly. 
my superior manners profited nothing. For though, as a particular favor, I received the first evening some meat with my bread, I had the next day the common allowance of the prisoners, very coarse bread and water, and for dinner vegetables, but no meat. My situation was most wretched. I was locked up in this place day and night, without permission to leave my cell. The dinner was such that on the first day I completely loathed it, and left it untouched. The second day I took a little, the third day all, and the fourth and following days I would fain have had more. On the second day I asked the keeper for a Bible, not to consider its blessed contents, but to pass away the time. However, I received none. Here then I was, no creature with me, no book, no work in my hands, and large iron rails, before my narrow window. During the second night I was awakened out of my sleep by the rattling of the bolts and keys. Three men came into my room. When I asked them in my fright what it meant, they laughed at me, continuing quietly to try the iron rails, to see whether I could escape after a few days I found out that a thief was imprisoned next to me, and, as far as a thick wooden partition would allow of it, I conversed with him, and shortly after the governor of the prison allowed him, as a favor to me, to share my cell. We now passed away our time in relating our adventures, and I was by this time so wicked that I was not satisfied with relating things of which I had been really guilty, but I even invented stories to show him what a famous fellow I was. I waited in vain day after day to be liberated after about ten or twelve days my fellow prisoner, and I disagreed, and thus we two wretched beings to increase our wretchedness, spent day after day without conversing together I was in prison from December 18, 1821, till January 12, 1822, when the keeper came and told me to go with him to the police office. Here I found that the commissioner, before whom I had been tried, had first written to my uncle at Brunswick, and when he had written in reply that it was better to acquaint my father with my conduct, the commissioner had done so and thus I was kept in prison till my father sent the money which was needed for my traveling expenses, to pay my debt in the inn and for my maintenance in the prison. So ungrateful was I now, for certain little kindnesses shown to me by my fellow prisoner, that, although I had promised to call on his sister to deliver a message from him, I omitted to do so, and so little had I been benefited by this my chastisement, that, though I was going home, to meet an angry father, only two hours after I had left the town, where I had been imprisoned, I chose an avowedly wicked person as my traveling companion for a great part of my journey. My father, who arrived two days after I had reached Heimersleben, after having severely beaten me, took me home to Schoenbeck, intending to keep me there till Easter, and then to send me to a classical school at Halle, that I might be under strict discipline and the continual inspection of a tutor. In the meantime I took pupils whom I instructed in Latin, French, arithmetic, and German grammar. I now endeavored, by diligence in study, to regain the favor of my father. My habits were, as to outward appearance, exemplary. I made progress in my own studies, benefited my pupils, and was soon liked by everybody around me, and in a short time my father had forgotten all. But all this time I was in heart as bad as ever, for I was still in secret habitually guilty of great sins. Easter came, and on account of my good behavior, my diligence in study, and also, because I was no expense to my father, but earned much more than I cost him, I easily persuaded him to let me stay at home till Michaelmas. But after that period he would not consent to my remaining any longer with him, and therefore I left home 
pretending to go to Halley, to be examined. But having a hearty dislike to the strict discipline of which I had heard, and knowing also that I should meet their young men attending the university with whom I was acquainted, enjoying all the liberty of German students, whilst I myself was still at school, for these and other reasons I went to Nordhausen, and had myself examined by the director of the gymnasium, to be received into that school. I then went home, but never told my father a word of all this deception, till the day before my departure, which obliged me to invent a whole chain of lies. He was then very angry, but at last, through my entreaties and persuasion, he gave way, and allowed me to go. This was in the beginning of October, 1822. I continued at Nordhausen two years, and six months, till Easter, 1825. During this time I studied with considerable diligence the Latin classics, French, history, my own language, and see, but did little in Hebrew, Greek, and the mathematics. I lived in the house of the director, and got, through my conduct, highly into his favor, so much so, that I was held up by him in the first class, as an example to the rest, and he used to take me regularly with him in his walks, to converse with me in Latin. I used now to rise regularly at four, winter and summer and generally studied all the day, with little exception, till ten at night. But whilst I was thus outwardly gaining the esteem of my fellow creatures, I did not care, in the least about God, but lived secretly in much sin, in consequence of which I was taken ill, and for thirteen weeks confined to my room. During my illness I had no real sorrow of heart, yet being under certain natural impressions of religion, I read through Klopstock's works without weariness. I cared nothing about the Word of God. I had about three hundred books of my own, but no Bible. I practically set a far higher value upon the writings of Horace and Cicero, Voltaire, and Moliere, and upon the volume of inspiration. Now and then I felt that I ought to become a different person, and I tried to amend my conduct, particularly when I went to the Lord's Supper, as I used to do twice every year, with the other young men. The day previous to attending that ordinance, I used to refrain from certain things, and on the day itself I was serious, and also swore once, or twice to God, with the emblem of the broken body in my mouth, to become better, thinking that for the oath's sake I should be induced to reform. But after one or two days were over, all was forgotten, and I was as bad, as before. I had now grown, so wicked, that I could habitually tell lies without blushing. And further, to show how fearfully wicked I was, I will mention, out of many others, only one great sin, of which I was guilty, before I left this place. Through my dissipated life I had contracted debts, which I had no means of discharging, for my father could allow me only about as much, as I needed for my regular maintenance. One day, after having received a sum of money from him, and having purposely shown it to some of my companions, I afterwards feigned that it was stolen, having myself by force injured the lock of my trunk, and having also designedly forced open my guitar case. I also feigned myself greatly frightened at what had happened, ran into the director's room with my coat off, and told him that my money was stolen. I was greatly pitied. Some friends also gave me now as much money as I pretended to have lost, and the circumstance afforded me a ground upon which to ask my creditors to wait longer. But this matter turned out bitterly, for the director, having ground, to suspect me, though he could not prove anything, never fully restored me to his confidence. As it regards my own feeling, though I was very wicked, yet this desperate act of depravity was too much, even for my hardened conscience, 
for it never afterwards allowed me to feel easy in the presence of the director's wife who, like a kind mother, had waited on me in my illness, and on whom I had now so willfully brought trouble. How long-suffering was God at this time, not to destroy me at once? And how merciful that he did not suffer me to be tried before the police who easily would have detected that the whole was a fabrication. I was heartily glad for many reasons, but particularly on account of this latter circumstance, to be able soon after to exchange the school for the university. I had now obtained what I had fondly looked forward to. I became a member of the university, and that with very honorable testimonials. I had thus obtained permission to preach in the Lutheran establishment, but I was as truly unhappy, and as far from God as ever. I had made strong resolutions, now at last, to change my course of life, for two reasons. First, because, without it, I thought no parish would choose me as their pastor, and secondly, that without a considerable knowledge of divinity I should never get a good living, as the obtaining of a valuable cure in Prussia, generally depends upon the degree which the candidates of the ministry obtain in passing the examination. But the moment I entered Halle, the university town, all my resolutions came to nothing being now more than ever my own master, and without any control as long, as I did not fight a duel, molest the people in the streets, and see, I renewed my profligate life afresh, though now a student of divinity. When my money was spent, I pawned my watch and a part of my linen and clothes, or borrowed in other ways. Yet in the midst of it all I had the desire to renounce this wretched life, for I had no enjoyment in it, and had sense enough left to see, that the end one day, or other would be miserable, for I should never get a living. But I had no sorrow of heart on account of offending God. One day when I was in a tavern with some of my wild fellow students, I saw among them one of my former school fellows, named Beta, whom I had known four years before at Halberstadt, but whom at that time had despised, because he was so quiet and serious. It now appeared well to me to choose him as my friend, thinking that if I could but have better companions, I should by that means improve my own conduct. I entered into familiar discourse with him, and we were soon much knit to one another. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm. Jeremiah XVII. 5. This beta was a backslider. When formerly he was so quiet at school, I have reason to believe it was, because the Spirit of God was working on his heart, but now, having departed from the Lord, he tried to put off the ways of God more and more, and to enjoy the world of which he had known but little before. I sought his friendship because I thought it would lead me to a steady life, and he gladly formed an acquaintance with me, as he told me afterwards, because he thought it would bring him into gay society. Thus my poor foolish heart was again deceived. And yet, God, in his abundant mercy, made him, after all, in a way which was never thought of by me, the instrument of doing me good, not merely for time, but for eternity. About this period, June 1825, I was again taken ill in consequence of my profligate and vicious life. My state of health would therefore no longer allow me to go on in the same course, but my desires were still unchanged. About the end of July I recovered. After this, my conduct was outwardly rather better, but this arose only from want of money. At the commencement of August, Beta and I with two other students, drove about the country for four days. All the money for this expensive pleasure had been obtained by pledging some of our remaining articles. When we returned, 
Instead of being truly sorry on account of this sin, we thought of fresh pleasures, and, as my love for traveling was stronger than ever, through what I had seen on this last journey, I proposed to my friends to set off for Switzerland. The obstacles in the way, the want of money, and the want of the passports, were removed by me for, through forged letters from our parents, we procured passports, and through pledging all we could, particularly our books, we obtained as much money, as we thought would be enough. Beta was one of the party. On August 18th we left Halley. It will be enough to say that we went as far as Mount Rigi in Switzerland, by the way of Verford, Frankfurt, Heidelberg, Stuttgart, Zurich, and returned by the way of Constance, Ulm, and Nuremberg. Forty-three days we were, day after day, traveling, almost always on foot. I had now obtained the desire of my heart. I had seen Switzerland. But still I was far from being happy. The Lord most graciously preserved us from many calamitous circumstances, which, but for His gracious providence, might have overtaken us but I did not see His hand, at that time, as I have seen it since. Sickness of one or more of us, or separation, from one another, which might have so easily befallen us, would have brought us, being so far from home, and having, but just as much money, as was absolutely needed, into a most miserable condition. I was on this journey, like Judas, for, having the common purse, I was a thief. I managed so, that the journey cost me but two-thirds of what it cost my friends. Oh! How wicked was I now! At last all of us became tired of seeing even the most beautiful views, and whilst, at first, after having seen certain scenes, I had been saying with Horace, at the end of the day, in my pagan heart, Vexy, I have lived, I was now glad to get home again. September 29th we reached Halley, from whence each of us, for the remainder of the vacation, went to his father's house. I had now, by many lies, to satisfy my father concerning the traveling expenses, and succeeded in deceiving him. During the three weeks I stayed at home I determined to live differently for the future. Once more the Lord showed me what resolutions come to, when made in man's strength. I was different for a few days, but when the vacation was over, and fresh students came, and, with them, fresh money, all was soon forgotten. At that time Halley was frequented by 1260 students, about 900 of whom studied divinity, all of which 900 were allowed to preach, although, I have reason to believe, not nine of them feared the Lord. The time was now come when God would have mercy upon me his love had been set upon such a wretch, as I was before the world was made. His love had sent his son, to bear the punishment due to me on account of my sins, and to fulfill the law which I had broken times without number. And now at time when I was as careless about him as ever, he sent his spirit into my heart. I had no Bible, and had not read in it for years. I went to church but seldom, but, from custom, I took the Lord's Supper twice a year. I had never heard the gospel preached up to the beginning of November 1825. I had never met with a person who told me that he meant, by the help of God, to live according to the Holy Scriptures. In short, I had not the least idea that there were any persons really different from myself, except in degree. One Saturday afternoon, about the middle of November 1825, I had taken a walk with my friend Beta. On our return he said to me that he was in the habit of going on Saturday evenings to the house of a Christian where there was a meeting. On further inquiry he told me that they read the Bible, sang, prayed, and read a printed sermon. 
No sooner had I heard this, and it was to me as if I had found something after which I had been seeking all my life long. I immediately wished to go with my friend, who was not at once willing to take me, for knowing me, as a gay young man, he thought I should not like this meeting. At last, however, he said he would call for me I would here mention that Beta seems to have had conviction of sin, and probably also a degree of acquaintance with the Lord, when about fifteen years old. Afterwards, being in a cold and worldly state, he joined me in this sinful journey to Switzerland. On his return, however, being extremely miserable and convinced of his guilt, he made a full confession of his sin to his father, and whilst with him, sought the acquaintance of a Christian brother, named Richter. This Dr. Richter, who himself had studied a few years before at Halley, gave him, on his return to the university, a letter of introduction to a believing tradesman, of the name of Wagner. It was this brother, concerning whom Beta spoke to me, and in whose house the meeting was held. We went together in the evening. As I did not know the manners of believers, and the joy they have in seeing poor sinners, even in any measure caring about the things of God, I made an apology for coming. The kind answer of this dear brother I shall never forget. He said, Come as often, as you please, house and heart are open to you. We sat down and sang a hymn. Then Brother Kayser, now a missionary in Africa, in connection with the London Missionary Society who was then living at Halley, fell on his knees and asked a blessing on our meeting. This kneeling down made a deep impression upon me, for I had never either seen anyone on his knees, nor had I ever myself prayed on my knees. He then read a chapter and a printed sermon, for no regular meetings, for expounding the scriptures were allowed in Prussia, except an ordained clergyman was present. At the close we sang another hymn, and then the master of the house prayed. Whilst he prayed, my feeling was something like this, I could not pray, as well, though I am much more learned than this illiterate man. Baho made a deep impression on me I was happy, though, if I had been asked why I was happy. I could not have clearly explained it. When we walked home, I said to Beta, All we have seen on our journey to Switzerland, and all our former pleasures, are as nothing in comparison with this evening. Whether I fell on my knees when I returned home, I do not remember, but this I know, that I lay peaceful and happy in my bed. This shows that the Lord may begin His work in different ways. For I have not the least doubt, that on that evening, he began a work of grace, in me, though I obtained joy, without any deep sorrow of heart, and with scarcely any knowledge. That evening was the turning point in my life the next day, and Monday, and once, or twice besides, I went again to the house of this brother, where I read the scriptures, with him and another brother, for it was too long for me to wait till Saturday came again. Now my life became very different, though not so, that all sins were given up at once. My wicked companions were given up, the going to taverns was entirely discontinued, the habitual practice of telling falsehoods was no longer indulged in, but still a few times, after this I spoke an untruth at the time when this change took place, I was engaged in translating a novel out of French into German, for the press, in order to obtain the means of gratifying my desire, to see Paris, and see this plan, about the journey was now given up, though I had not light enough to give up the work in which I was engaged, but finished it. The Lord, however, most remarkably put various obstacles in the way, and did not allow me to sell the manuscript. At last, seeing that the whole was wrong, I determined never to sell it, and was enabled to abide by this determination. The manuscript was burnt. 
I now no longer lived habitually in sin, though I was still often overcome, and sometimes even by open sins, though far less frequently than before, and not without sorrow of heart. I read the scriptures, prayed often, loved the brethren, went to church from right motives, and stood on the side of Christ, though laughed at by my fellow students. It had pleased God to teach me something of the meaning of that precious truth. God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I understood something of the reason why the Lord Jesus died on the cross, and suffered such agonies, in the Garden of Gethsemane, even that thus, bearing the punishment due to us, we might not have to bear it ourselves. And, therefore, apprehending in some measure the love of Jesus, for my soul, I was constrained to love him in return. What all the exhortations and precepts of my father and others could not effect, what all my own resolutions could not bring about, even to renounce a life of sin and profligacy, I was unable to do, constrained by the love of Jesus. The individual who desires to have his sins forgiven must seek for it through the blood of Jesus. The individual who desires to get power over sin must likewise seek it through the blood of Jesus. In January 1826, I began to read missionary papers and was greatly stirred up to become a missionary myself. I prayed frequently concerning this matter and thus made more decided progress for a few weeks. But soon, alas, I was drawn aside. I used frequently to meet a young female who also came to the meetings on Saturday evenings, and being the only pious female of my own age whom I knew, I soon felt myself greatly attached to her. This led away my heart from missionary work, for I had reason to believe that her parents would not allow her to go with me. My prayers now became cold and formal, and at length were almost entirely given up. My joy in the Lord left me in this state I continued for about six weeks. At the end of that time, about Easter 1826, I saw a devoted young brother, named Herman Ball, a learned man, and a wealthy parents who, constrained by the love of Christ, preferred laboring in Poland, among the Jews, as a missionary, to having a comfortable living near his relations. His example made a deep impression on me. I was led to apply his case to my own, and to compare myself with him, for I had given up the work of the Lord, and, I may say, the Lord himself, for the sake of a girl. The result of this comparison was that I was enabled to give up this connection which I had entered into without prayer, and which thus had led me away from the Lord. When I was enabled to be decided, the Lord smiled on me, and I was, for the first time in my life, able fully and unreservedly to give up myself to Him. It was at this time that I began truly to enjoy the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. In this my joy I wrote to my father and brother, entreating them to seek the Lord, and telling them how happy I was, thinking that if the way to happiness were but set before them, they would gladly embrace it. To my great surprise an angry answer was returned about this period the Lord sent a believer, Dr. Dolak, as professor of divinity to Halley, in consequence of which a few believing students came from other universities. Thus also, through becoming acquainted with other brethren, the Lord led me on, with the revival of the work of grace in my heart, after the snare, above referred to had been broken, my former desire, to give myself to missionary service, returned, and I went at last to my father, to obtain his permission, without which I could not be received into any of the German missionary institutions. 
My father was greatly displeased and particularly reproached me, saying that he had expended so much money on my education, in hope that he might comfortably spend his last days with me in a parsonage, and that he now saw all these prospects come to nothing. He was angry and told me he would no longer consider me as his son. But the Lord gave me grace to remain steadfast. He then entreated me and wept before me, yet even this by far harder trial the Lord enabled me to bear. Before I went away I took an opportunity of reminding my brother of my former wicked life, and told him that now, having been thus blessed by God, I could not but live for him. After I had left my father, though I wanted more money, and at any previous period of my life, as I had to remain two years longer in the university, I determined never to take any more from him, for it seemed to me wrong, so far, as I remember, to suffer myself to be supported by him, when he had no prospect that I should become what he would wish me to be, namely, a clergyman with a good living. This resolution I was enabled to keep. By the way I would here observe that the Lord afterwards, in a most remarkable way, supplied my temporal wants. For shortly after this had occurred, several American gentlemen, three of whom were professors in American colleges, came to Halley, for literary purposes, and, as they did not understand German, I was recommended by Dr. Dolak to teach them. These gentlemen, some of whom were believers, paid so handsomely for the instruction which I gave them, and for the lectures of certain professors which I wrote out for them, that I had enough, and to spare. Thus did the Lord richly make up to me the little which I had relinquished for his sake. Zero fear the Lord, ye has saints, for there is no one to them that fear him. Psalms 9. On my return from my father to Halley, I found that the more experienced brethren thought that I ought for the present to take no further steps respecting my desire to go out as a missionary. But still it was more or less in my mind Whitsuntide, and the two days following I spent in the house of a pious clergyman in the country, for all the ministers at Halley, a town of more than 30,000 inhabitants, were unenlightened men, God greatly refreshed me through this visit. Dear Beta was with me on our return we related to two of our former friends, whose society we had not quite given up, though we did not any longer live with them and sin, how happy we had been on our visit. I then told them how I wished they were as happy, as ourselves. They answered, we do not feel that we are sinners. After this I fell on my knees and asked God to show them that they were sinners. Having done so. I left them and went into my bedroom, where I continued to pray for them. After a little while I returned to my sitting room and found them both in tears and both told me that they now felt themselves to be sinners. From that time a work of grace commenced in their hearts. Shortly after this, being still greatly exercised about going out as a missionary and wishing much, according to my natural mind as I now see, to have the matter settled in one way or the other, without being willing quietly, patiently, and prayerfully to wait on the Lord, I came to the conclusion to ascertain the Lord's mind by the lot. To this end I not merely drew a lot in private, but I bought a ticket in the royal lottery, and I left it thus with the Lord, that if I gained anything, I should take it to be his will that I should become a missionary, if not, that I should remain at home. My ticket came out with a small sum, on account of which it appeared to me that I should be a missionary. I therefore applied to the Berlin Missionary Society, but was not accepted, because my father had not given his consent. Very soon afterwards I was led to see in some degree, and since then much more fully, the error into which I had fallen respecting the lot. 
In the first place it was altogether wrong that I, a child of God, should have anything to do with so worldly a system as that of the lottery. But it was also unscriptural to go to the lot at all for the sake of ascertaining the Lord's mind, and this I ground on the following reasons. We have neither a commandment of God for it, nor the example of our Lord, nor that of the apostles, after the Holy Spirit had been given on the day of Pentecost. 1. We have many exhortations in the Word of God to seek to know His mind by prayer and searching the Holy Scriptures, but no passage which exhorts us to use the lot. 2. The example of the apostles, Axi, in using the lot in the choice of an apostle in the room of Judas Iscariot, is the only passage which can be brought in favor of the lot from the New Testament, and to the old we have not to go under this dispensation for the sake of ascertaining how we ought to live as disciples of Christ. Now concerning this circumstance we have to remember that the Spirit was not yet given. John VII. 39 CHXIV 16 17 CHXVI 7.13 By whose teaching especially it is that we may know the mind of the Lord, and hence we find, that, after the day of Pentecost, the lot was no more used, but the apostles gave themselves to prayer, and fasting to ascertain how they ought to act. In addition to this I would give my own experience concerning the lot, but only by way of illustrating the view just given, for the word of God is quite sufficient on the subject. And first, as it regards my using the lot in the above case, how did it turn out? I had repeatedly asked the Lord to show me his mind, whether he would have me to be a missionary, or not. But not coming to a satisfactory assurance, and being very anxious to have the matter settled, I found out in my own judgment a much shorter way, namely, the lot. I ought to have said to myself, how can an individual, so ignorant, as you are, think about being a teacher to others? For though I was truly begotten again, and rested upon Christ alone for salvation, still I should not have been able to give a clear explanation of even the most elementary truths of the gospel. How then could I be fit to teach others? The first thing therefore I ought to have done, was to seek through much prayer, and searching the scriptures, and a holy life, to obtain more knowledge of divine things. Further, as to my impatience in wishing the matter settled, how could I have been fit to endure in that state the hardships and trials of a missionary life, in which my patience, no doubt, would have been much more severely tried? I therefore ought to have said to myself, if I cannot wait quietly, though it be many months longer, before the Lord shows me clearly His will concerning the matter, how then can I be fit for missionary work? Instead of us comparing my state of heart and knowledge with what is required in the Scriptures, from him, who is to be a teacher, I ran hastily to the lot, and thought I had done it prayerfully. And how did it end? According to my prayers the lot decided I should be a missionary among the heathen, and my mind, at that time, especially inclined to the East Indies. But the way in which the Lord has led me since has been very different. And it ought not to be said in defense of the practice of deciding by lot, perhaps the Lord meant you to be a missionary among the heathen, but you did not give yourself to the work for I actually offered myself to a society, but was not accepted. Moreover, since 1826 I have repeatedly offered myself most solemnly to the Lord for this work, and am as sure that it is not as will that I should go out a missionary for the present as I am sure of anything. Nor could it be said that perhaps the Lord yet may call me for this work. For if he should be pleased to do so tomorrow, yet that would prove nothing concerning the above point.
for I did not use the lot to ascertain whether at any period of my life I should be engaged in missionary work, but whether I should then set about it. And to put such an explanation on the matter, would be acting as false prophets who, when their prophecies fail, try to find out some way, or other, whereby they may show that their prophecies were true. About two years after I used the lot in another instance, I went one day to a village about fifteen miles from Halley to see the few believers there. When I was about three miles from the place, it began to get dark, and finding myself in a spot where the road divided, and not knowing which way I should choose, I was greatly perplexed. I stood a moment, and then prayed to God to show me by the lot which was the right way. Now, truly one may say, if a use of the lot in our day is according to the will of God, this was particularly a case for the Lord to direct me through this means. For here was one of his children in need, looking up to his father, to help him, through the lot, out of his difficulty, and this his child also on a journey in his service. I drew the lot and went the way to the left. After some time I found I was on the wrong road. Now, at last, as I did not know how to get into the right one, I did what I ought to have done before, and what I believed to be a scriptural way of acting. I prayed that the Lord graciously would send someone to put me into the right way, and almost immediately a carriage came up, and I was directed on my journey. In one other instance I used the law some years after. It concerned a most important matter, important for my whole life. I had then a degree of conviction that I ought prayerfully and patiently to wait for the Lord's decision. But my natural mind would have the decision at once, and thus after prayer I drew the lot to have the matter in one way or other settled. But facts turned out completely different from what the lot decided. To ascertain the Lord's will we ought to use scriptural means. Prayer, the word of God, and his spirit should be united together. We should go to the Lord repeatedly in prayer, and ask him to teach us by his spirit through his word. I say, by his spirit through his word. For if we should think that his spirit led us to do so, and so, because certain facts are so and so, and yet his word is opposed to the step which we are going to take, we should be deceiving ourselves. For instance, a brother in business thinks he ought to leave the house in which he lives because it is not in a good situation. He wishes to know the Lord's mind, as he says, and prays about the matter. After a few days, unexpectedly, a house is offered to him without seeking after it, in a much better situation. The house is very suitable, as he thinks, the rent very moderate, and moreover the person who offers him the house tells him, that, because he is a believer he will let him have it at this cheap rent. There is, however, this scriptural objection in the way. If he goes into this house he must carry on so large a business, to cover his expenses, that his time will be so occupied as to encroach upon those hours which ought to be devoted to his spiritual interests. Now the scriptural way of deciding would be this, no situation, no business will be given to me by God, in which I have not time enough to care about my soul, Matthew V.I. 33. Therefore, however outward circumstances may appear, it can only be considered as permitted of God to prove the genuineness of my love, faith, and obedience, but by no means as the leading of his providence to induce me to act contrary to his revealed will. In connection with this I would mention that the Lord very graciously gave me, from the very commencement of my divine life, 
a measure of simplicity and of childlike disposition in spiritual things, so that whilst I was exceedingly ignorant of the scriptures, and was still from time to time overcome even by outward sins, yet I was enabled to carry most minute matters to the Lord in prayer. And I have found godliness profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Though very weak and ignorant, yet I had now, by the grace of God, some desire to benefit others, and he, who so faithfully had once served Satan, sought now to win souls for Christ. I may mention a few instances. I circulated every month, in different parts of the country, about 300 missionary papers. I also sold and distributed a considerable number of tracts, and often took my pockets full in my walks and distributed them and spoke to poorer people whom I met. I also wrote letters to some of my former companions in sin. I visited for thirteen weeks a sick man, who, when I first began to speak to him about the things of God, was completely ignorant of his state as a sinner, trusting for salvation in his upright and moral life. After some weeks, however, the Lord allowed me to see a decided change in him, and he afterwards repeatedly expressed his gratitude that I had been sent to him by God to be the means of opening his blind eyes. May this encourage the believing reader to sow the seed though he does not see it spring up at once. Thus the Lord condescended to begin to use me soon after my conversion, though but little, for I could bear, but very little, as I did not see at that time, as I do now, that God alone can give spiritual life at the first and keep it up in the soul afterwards. How imperfectly, however, on account of my ignorance some of these things were done, I will show by the following instance. Once I met a beggar in the fields, and spoke to him about his soul. But when I perceived it made no impression upon him, I spoke more loudly, and when he still remained unmoved, I quite bawled in talking to him, till at last I went away, seeing it was of no use. Though none had sought the Lord less than myself, when he was pleased to begin his work in me, yet so ignorant was I of the work of the Spirit, that I thought my speaking very loudly would force him into repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus. Having heard that there was a schoolmaster living in a village about six miles from Halls who was in the habit of holding a prayer meeting at four o'clock every morning with the miners before they went into the pit, giving them also an address, I thought he was a believer, and, as I knew so very few brethren, I went to see him, in order, if it might be, to strengthen his hands. About two years afterwards he told me that when I came to him first, he knew not the Lord, but that he had held these prayer meetings merely out of kindness, to a relative, whose office it was, but who bad gone on a journey, and that those addresses which Lee had read were not his own, but copied out of a book. He also told me, that he was much impressed with my kindness, and, what he considered condescension on my part, in coming to see him, and this, together with my conversation, had been instrumental in leading him to care about the things of God, and I knew him ever afterwards, as a true believer. This schoolmaster asked me whether I would not preach in his parish as the aged and infirm clergyman would be very glad of my assistance. Up to this time I had never preached, though for fifteen months past I might have done so, as a student of divinity, for before Christmas 1825 I had been mercifully kept from attempting to preach, though I wrote to my father about July that I had preached because I knew it would please him, and after Christmas, when I knew the Lord, I refrained from doing so, because I felt that I was yet too little instructed in the things of God. The same reason ought to have still kept me from preaching, yet I thought 
that, by taking a sermon, or the greater part of one, written by a spiritual man, and committing it to memory, I might benefit the people. Had I reasoned scripturally, I should have said, Surely it cannot be the will of God, that I should preach in this way, if I have not enough knowledge of the scriptures, to write a sermon. Moreover, I had not enough light nor tenderness of conscience to see that I was a deceiver in the pulpit, for everybody supposes that the sermon a man preaches is, if not entirely, at least as to the most part, his own composition. I now set about putting a printed sermon into a suitable form and committing it to memory. It was hard work. There is no joy in man's own doings and choosings. It took me nearly a whole week to commit to memory such a sermon as would take up nearly an hour in repeating. I got through it but had no enjoyment in the work. It was on August 27, 1826, at 8 in the morning, in a chapel of ease, in connection with which my friend was schoolmaster.5 at 11 I repeated the same sermon verbatim in the parish church. There was one service more, in the afternoon, at which I needed not to have done anything, for the schoolmaster might have read a printed sermon, as he used to do. But having a desire to serve the Lord, though I often knew not how to do it scripturally, and knowing that this aged and unenlightened clergyman had had this living for forty-eight years, and having therefore reason to believe that the gospel scarcely ever had been preached in that place, I had it in my heart to preach again in the afternoon. But I had no second sermon committed to memory. It came, however, to my mind, to read the fifth chapter of Matthew, and to make such remarks as I was able I did so immediately upon beginning to expound blessed are the poor in spirit and see I felt myself greatly assisted and whereas in the morning my sermon had not been simple enough for the people to understand it I now was listened to with the greatest attention and I think was also understood. My own peace and joy were great. I felt this a blessed work. After the service I left the aged clergyman as soon as possible lest I should lose my enjoyment. On my way to Halley I thought, this is the way I should like always to preach. But then it came immediately to my mind that such sort of preaching might do for illiterate country people, but that it never would do before a well-educated assembly in town. I thought, the truth ought to be preached at all hazards, but it ought to be given in a different form, suited to the hearers. Thus I remained unsettled in my mind, as it regards the mode of preaching, and it is not surprising that I did not then see the truth concerning this matter for I did not understand the work of the Spirit, and therefore saw not the powerlessness of human eloquence. Further, I did not keep in mind, that if the most illiterate persons in the congregation can comprehend the discourse, the most educated will understand it too, but that the reverse does not hold true. It was not till three years afterwards that I was led, through grace, to see what I now consider the right mode of preparation for the public preaching of the word. But about this, if God permit, I will say more when I come to that period of my life. I now preached frequently, both in the churches of villages and towns, but never had any enjoyment, in doing so, except when speaking in a simple way, though the repetition of sermons which had been committed to memory, brought more praise from my fellow creatures. But from neither way of preaching did I see any fruit. It may be, that the last day may show the benefit even of these feeble endeavors, one reason why the Lord did not permit me to see fruit seems to me that I should have been most probably lifted up by success. It may be also because I prayed exceedingly little respecting the ministry of the word and because I walked so little with God and was so rarely a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use. 
About the time that I first began to preach I lived for about two months in free lodgings provided for poor students of divinity in the orphan house, built in dependence upon God, by that devoted and eminent servant of Christ, A. H. Frankie, professor of divinity at Halley, who died 1727. I mention this, as some years afterwards I was benefited myself through the faith of this dear man of God about that time I was still so weak that I fell repeatedly into open sins, yet could not continue in them, nay, not even for a few days, without sorrow of heart, confession before God, and fleeing to the blood of the Lamb. And so ignorant was I still, that I bought a crucifix in a frame, and hung it up in my room, hoping that being thus frequently reminded of the sufferings of my Savior, I should not fall so frequently into sin. But in a few days the looking to the crucifix was, as nothing, and I fell about that very time more than once deeply. About this time I formed an intimate acquaintance with a brother, who was also a divinity student, and, as we loved one another so much, and were so happy in one another's society, we thought that it would greatly add to our joy, and to one another's benefit, to live together, and that thus we might mutually help one another. Accordingly in September 1826, I left the free lodgings, in the orphan house, and lived with him. But alas! We were not aware, that because God is greatly glorified by the love and union of his people, for this very reason Satan particularly hates it, and will, therefore, in every possible way, seek to divide them. We ought to have especially prayed, and that frequently, that the Lord would keep us together in love, instead of which, I do not think that we at all feared disunion, as we loved one another so much. For this reason our great adversary soon got an advantage by our neglecting prayer concerning this point, and we were disunited, and love and union were not fully restored between us till after we had been for some time separated. Having heard that a very rich lady of title, residing at Frankfurt, on the Main, about 200 miles from Halley, was a very pious person, and, in visiting a charitable institution at Dusselthal, had given very liberally, and wishing much about the commencement of the year 1827 to help a poor relative with a small sum of money, and also to pay the remainder of the debt which I had contracted for my traveling expenses to Switzerland, I wrote to this lady, asking her to lend me a small sum of money, in actual amount only little above five period, but, as money in the north of Germany has much more value, and in England, it was as much as twelve or fifteen in this country. Whilst I was writing, however, the thought occurred to me, suppose this lady should not be a believer. I, therefore, pointed out to her the way of salvation, and related to her how I had been brought to the knowledge of the truth. But I received no answer by the time I might have had one I would just notice that since 1829 my practice, on account of what I found in the scriptures, Ram XIII 8, as it regards borrowing money, has been different. And, moreover, I have considered that there is no ground to go away from the door of the Lord to that of a believer, so long as he is so willing to supply our need. About January 20th I was one day very wretched. Satan obtained an advantage over me through overmuch work, for I was in the habit of writing about 14 hours a day. One morning I was in so wretched a state that I said in my heart, what have I now gained by becoming a Christian? Afterwards I walked about in the streets in this wretched state of heart, and at last I went into a confectioner's shop, where wine, and ardent spirits were sold, to eat and to drink. But as soon, as I had taken a piece of cake I left the shop, having more rest, as I felt that it was unbecoming a believer, either to go to such places, or to spend his money in such a way. 
in the afternoon of the very day on which, in the ingratitude of my heart, I had had such unkind thoughts about the Lord, who was at that very time in so remarkable a manner supplying my temporal wants by my being employed in writing for an American professor. He graciously showed me my sin, not by a severe chastisement, as I most righteously deserved, but by adding another mercy to the many he had already shown me. Oh! How long-suffering is our Lord! How does he bear with us? May I at least now seek, for the few days whilst I may stay in this world, to be more grateful for all his mercies. At two o'clock I received a parcel from Frankfurt, containing the exact sum of money of which I had requested the loan. There was no letter to be found. I was overwhelmed with the Lord's mercy, but very much regretted that there was no letter. At last, on carefully examining the paper in which the silver had been packed, I found one which I have kept and which I translate from the German. A peculiar providence has brought me acquainted with the letter which you have written to Lady B. But you are under a mistake concerning her, both as it regards her character and her stay at the where she never was. She has been taken for another individual. But that I may lessen in some measure the difficulties in which you seem to be, I send you the enclosed small sum, for which you may thank, not the unknown giver, but the Lord, who turneth the hearts, like rivers of water. Hold fast the faith which God has given you by His Holy Spirit, it is the most precious treasure in this life, and it contains in itself true happiness. Only seek by watching and prayer more and more to be delivered from all vanity and self-complacency, by which even the true believer may be ensnared when he least expects it. Let it be your chief aim to be more and more humble, faithful, and quiet. May we not belong to those who say, and write continually, Lord, Lord, but who have him not deeply in their hearts. Christianity consists not in words, but in power. There must be life in us for, therefore, God loved us first that we might love him in return, and that loving we might receive power, to be faithful to him, and to conquer ourselves, the world, distress, and death. May his spirit strengthen you for this, that you may be an able messenger of his gospel. Amen. An adoring worshipper of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Frankfurt on the Main, January 14, 1827. I saw, in some measure, at the time, when I received the letter, how much I needed such a faithful and, at the same time, loving word of admonition, but I have seen it more fully since. Self-complacency and a want of quietness, and saying and writing more frequently Lord, Lord, and acknowledging him by my life as such, these were the evils against which at that time I particularly needed to be cautioned, and up to this day I am still much, very much. Lacking in these points, though the Lord, to his praise I would say it, has done much for me in these particulars since that time. After having read this letter, my heart was full of joy, shame, and gratitude. Truly it was the goodness of God which brought my heart into this state, and not the money for that was gone in a few hours after for the two purposes above referred to. With my heart full of peculiar feelings, and ashamed of my conduct in the morning, I left the town towards the evening to walk alone in a solitary place. And now, being particularly conscious of my ingratitude to the Lord, for all his mercies, and of my want of steadfastness in his ways, I could not forbear falling down on my knees behind a hedge, though the snow was a foot deep, anew to surrender myself wholly to him, and to pray for strength, that I might for the future live more to his glory, and also to thank him for his late mercy. It was a blessed time, I continued about half an hour in prayer. After such an experience, 
it may be difficult for one who does not know the plague of his own heart to think that I was at that time a true believer, when I tell him that so base was I, so altogether like a beast, before my God, and unmindful of his mercies to me in Christ, that only a few weeks after I fell into a wretched backsliding state, in which I continued for many days, during which time prayer was almost entirely given up. It was on one of these days that I rang my bell, and ordered the servant to fetch me wine. And now I began to drink. But how good was the Lord! Though I desired to drink, that I might be able more easily to go on in sin, yet he would not allow me to give up myself to the wickedness of my heart. For whilst in my ungodly days I had drunk once about five quarts of strong beer, in one afternoon, in the way of bravado, and once also much wine at one time, without remorse of conscience. I could now take only two or three glasses before the wickedness of my conduct was brought before me, and my conscience told me that I drank merely for the sake of drinking, and thus I gave it up. It was about this time that I formed the plan of exchanging the University of Halle for that of Berlin, on account of there being a greater number of believing professors and students in the latter place. But the whole plan was formed without prayer, or at least without earnest prayer. When, however, the morning came on which I had to take decided steps concerning it, and to apply for the university testimonials, the Lord graciously stirred me up prayerfully to consider the matter, and finding that I bad no sufficient reason for leaving Halley, I gave up the plan, and have never had reason to regret having done so in the vacations. Michaelmas, 1826, and Easter, 1827, and at other times, I visited a Moravian settlement called Nyado which was only about three miles distant from the place where my father then resided. Through the instrumentality of the brethren whom I met there, my spirit was often refreshed. The public means of grace by which I could be benefited were very few. Though I went regularly to church, when I did not preach myself, yet I scarcely ever heard the truth, for there was no enlightened clergyman in the town. And when it so happened that I could bear Dr. Dolak, or any other godly minister, the prospect of it beforehand, and the looking back upon it afterwards, served to fill me with joy. Now and then I walked ten, or fifteen miles, to enjoy this privilege. May those who enjoy the faithful ministry of the word feel exceedingly thankful for it.